I really, really feel that God wants to do some, some business and he wants to go deep with some people. Just like the word that you gave, he wants to move people from their own strength, their own power, their own place where they're at. He wants to take them out of that comfortable place and move them into an area that's so uncomfortable that they can only rely on him. And just when Becky spoke and she said, um, thank you that we have a risen God. Have you ever stopped and thought if salvation was down to us, how, how it would probably look and, and, and what might have happened and how it turned out? And have you ever thought about what would happen if God didn't decide? Um, I, I often think, you know, Jesus is the most powerful man ever to have walked the earth. He had the power and ability to do whatever he wanted to do, and yet he chose, by choice of will, not to. On that cross when he was mocked, on that cross when he was scorned, on that cross when he was belittled, he was accused, and he was then nailed in utter agony, at any point, and we, we always forget this, but at any point, Jesus, with the amount of power that was flowing within him, could have got down. At any moment, any moment he could have said, you know what, enough of this, enough of these humans, enough of being mocked, enough of all this, I'm getting down and I'm going to show you what real power is. But in that silence, when Jesus is mocked, especially when Jesus is mocked by the, by the, um, by the, the accused who, who, were, who are on, on his right, he doesn't say anything, he stays utterly silent. And you, kind of, you can just hear in that silence Jesus saying, I'm going to show you that it's better to raise from the grave than to get down from the cross. And I love that. I love that he was able to persevere, not by his own strength, not by his own might, but he was able to persevere in what God's will for him was, knowing that in the end that's the best path he could have taken. And if Jesus does that, Jesus who never had to, Jesus who could have gone down a different path, then surely that sets the tone for all of us. Surely... If Jesus raised from the grave, if salvation was his option, is his choice, if salvation is the reason that we can sing, we can shout, we can be joyous, then surely we shouldn't exclude Jesus from the work that we do now. Because if we exclude Jesus from the work that we do now, then we basically say to Jesus, hey, thanks for setting me free, thanks for doing that business there, I love you, that's amazing, I've got it from here. And I just kind of think, but if we've got it from here, what are we actually saying? What message is coming through? What are we giving back to Jesus? As Jesus humbly dies on a cross, we're then saying we're going to proudly walk forward from that risen work. And I just don't think that's what Jesus ever had in mind. And I don't think that's what Jesus wants this church to do. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and God brought it back this week, uh, God gave me a vision for this church. And it, the, the, the central division was he wants you to be more than a lighthouse. You know, you can be as happy, you can be as content as you want being that lighthouse. You can, you can stand there and shine a light and, and try and draw the people to you. But God said, I want it to be more than a lighthouse. I want the light to go down through this church and I want it to soak and light up the ground all around it. That's my desire. But the question is, the question for you, all of you today, whose strength are you going to choose to walk out in? More importantly, whose ability is it that limits the work that you do? You can choose to limit yourselves by the abilities and strengths that you have. You can choose to look at your ministry based on what you have and what you don't have. Or you can choose to say, 
my ministry is going to be defined by what God has. You can have a limited ministry or a limitless ministry. And it is a choice because God has given us that choice. We can, and by the grace of God, we can go around using all our gifts, telling everybody how special we are, doing things in our own strength. We can do that. That's a choice. Or we can choose a different path. We can say, actually, you know what, God? I don't think that's what you have for me. I think there's something greater. You see, our dreams, our dreams, the size of what we're prepared to dream is determined by the limits that we place on ourselves. So we will only dream as big as the limits that we put around ourselves. So as a church, as people, if we're going to see each other and judge our limitations on that, then we will only dream to that ability. We will not dream any further because we won't think we can do it. But if we start to go, you know what? We have God, and through him, all things are possible. Then all of a sudden, our dreams don't become small anymore. All of a sudden, we can start dreaming, not just for St. Austell, not just for a few numbers. We can start dreaming for the UK. We can start dreaming for Europe. We can start dreaming for the world because we know that God can take one person in this room and change the entire world. It doesn't matter whether they think they're gifted or not. That's pride. The moment God comes to us and says, you know what? I want you to do this. And we turn back. I ain't good enough. The moment we say that, we fall into a trap of fear and pride. And that's the message that God wants to talk to you. That I believe he wants to say to you. We've got to move from we will to he will. We've got to move from the place where we can to he can. See, a sentence God has put on my heart recently is you aren't and you can't. And we need to live in a really happy place in that. You aren't good enough and you can't do it. But he can because he's the I am. You aren't and you can't, but he can because he's the I am. And I think that's a really lovely place to live in. God, I'm not strong enough. Thank God you're not strong enough because if you were, you wouldn't need God. God, I'm not brave enough. No, I'm not gifted. No, you're not. You're not. And God, I can't do this. No, you can't. You can't do it. And I'm really thankful today that that's the message because if we could, I wouldn't need God. If I could stand up here and give a sermon to you and know and rest on my own ability, then I would not pray during the week because I wouldn't need to. I'd just read my, get my Bible out and say, hey, this sounds good, I'm, I'm amazing, I'll tell a few jokes, put a few things in, and then stand up here and go, wow, aren't I amazing? But you aren't and you can't, but he can, and he's the I am. And it's the I am we need to wrestle with. And So what is it that stops that wrestling? What is it that stops that moving forward? What is it that, that moves us into a place where we don't do that? Well, we see life very differently from how God does See, we see ourselves based on the judgments and based on the comparisons that we make against other people. The amount of times I've heard young people talk about somebody else in terms of what they can and can't do because they're better than them and they're not as good as them, but they're more gifted and they're able. Straight away, we're looking at life through a lens of gifts and abilities, not through a lens of God. See, Moses had the same issue that we face today. It's not, it's not something new. There's nothing new under the sun, is there, Mike? <laughs> Been doing Ecclesiastes and, and it's just meaningless. Um, Moses, I, I remember reading the story of Moses first off and I was kind of like, God, I don't understand. Why didn't you, why didn't you use Moses when he was the prince of Egypt? 
At that point, Moses was heavily trained. He was an amazing speaker. He had power and authority. And God, at that point, could have gone to Moses and said, you know what, Moses, could um, you go to your dad and sort of cut me a deal and sort of, you know, figure out how, how we can get my people to where I want them and see if you can get them a couple of days off, you know, make a union and see what we can sort out. And the thing is, when... When we use our own strengths and abilities, when we look at God's ministry through our own strengths and abilities, what we do is we lessen it. We make compromises. We don't actually do what God wants us to do. We kind of go, God, I can't do that, but I can do this. So we'll do that. That's good enough. But God never chose Moses at that point. The point when most of us would look and go, well, logically, Moses can be most effective there. Because he's, he's not just in the system, he's so high up in that system. He has such authority. He has such power in that, in, in that place. He's got great, he's had great teaching. He's got the ability to go to Pharaoh. He, he has everything, God, that you need for him to do that ministry. But God knew that what he had at that moment was the biggest block to what he wanted to do. So God takes Moses and he sends him into the desert for 40 years. He makes him a shepherd. Moses is there down to the point where God then comes back to Moses and goes, right, Moses, now we're going to do some business. And Moses goes, what? He says, all I want you to do, little task, I need you to go and I need you to set my people free from Israel. And the next interaction is amazing because Moses goes, oh, God. I'm not a very good speaker, and I'm not the right person. And you can just hear that dialogue. You know, Moses starts to list out all the reasons why Moses can't do it. What I love is that you never hear God argue with Moses. He never disagrees with Moses, does he? God, I'm not a good speaker. You don't hear Moses go, yes, you are. Yeah, you're amazing. You can do it. God, I'm I'm not a leader. You are, you're an amazing leader. You can do this. You've got this. And even when he goes, God, can I have somebody else? Can you send Aaron because I'm not strong enough on his own? God doesn't try to talk him out of it. God doesn't go, no, you don't need Aaron. You You can do this. God never, ever tells Moses who Moses is. When Moses is in his most trouble, God tells Moses who God is. You see that? We as people often fall into the trap of just affirming the gifts that we see in other people. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But when Moses confronted God and said, God, I can't, God never disagreed. He never said to Moses, you can, you can do it, you've got this, you've got... He never did that. What he does, he says, I'm with you. I will give you the words. I will give you the power. I will give you all you need. Remember this, guys. God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those that he calls. You see that? There's, there's, a, there's a, such a subtle difference. In the kingdom of God, see, in, in the kingdom of the air, we judge ourselves on the abilities that we have and don't have. In the kingdom of God, we judge ourselves on the king and what he's got. Because that's how his kingdom works. You see, there are some people here that I truly believe are limited in what they're doing because they think they're not good enough. You're not. God won't disagree with you. God ain't here to tell you, you're good enough. Go and do it. It's not what he's here to say. He's here to say, you're not good enough. 
I didn't make you good enough because if you're good enough, you don't need me. And I'm here. I never left. I'm never going anywhere. I had some really funny interactions this week where God was, as God was speaking, I was suddenly reminded. We kind of go, I feel distant from God. Oh God, I don't feel. God is constant. He never goes. He never leaves. He never changes. We're the changeable thing in this whole equation. God doesn't want to make you strong enough that you don't need him. God wants to move you from feet to knees because on your knees he can work through you. On your feet you tend to want to do it by yourself. And I think it's one of the real gifts of, of, of raising children is that you get to see and, and experience what it's like when you have somebody who just can't do it but who has no issue with that because you can. And church, I want to say that if you want to become more than a lighthouse, if you want to go further than you've ever gone before, you need to get out of your own way because you aren't and you can't, but he can because he's the I am. You've got no issues. God can tell you to do anything because if he calls you to do it, he will give you the words, he will give you the ability, he will give you the anointing to do his work. I'm up here this morning, God calls me to talk, God gives me the words. That's simple. Or, I can spend the entire week worrying about what I'm going to say. I can go up and down, left and right, and try my good sermons, and rip them up from the bin, write different ones, rip them off from the bin, have this real great dialogue. I have never ever seen anybody who has achieved through worry. I've never seen a plaque on a wall to worry, well done, you did a good job. Or fear. These things, fear and worry, always isolate and stop. They never advance. There's a little, uh, I don't know if anybody here knows uh, Bonhoeffer, the, the, the amazing uh, preacher who preached uh, during Nazi Germany in World War II, a place where you could be forgiven for being slightly scared of what was going to happen. He said this about fear. Let's say there's a ship on the high sea, having a fierce struggle with the waves. The storm wind is blowing harder by the minute. The boat is small, tossed about like a toy. The sky is dark, the sailor's strength is failing. Then one of them is gripped by. Whom? What? He cannot tell himself, but someone is there in the boat who wasn't there before. Suddenly he can no longer see or hear anything, can no longer row. A wave overwhelms him. And in final desperation, he shrieks, Stranger in this boat, who are you? And the other answers, I am fear. All hope is lost. Fear is in the boat. All hope is lost. Fear is in the boat. But we have the perfect remedy to fear, don't we? Because perfect love casts out fear. Two kingdoms, again, go back to these two kingdoms. In the kingdom, of, uh, in the kingdom of the air, in the kingdom of this world, our experiences dictate our truths. In the kingdom of God, his truth dictates our experiences. Okay, you can't start looking around at what you've experienced and having that as a truth in your life because that's not how it works. The Bible has all the truths in them. Read it, know them, and you'll see them happen. 
The Bible says, do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. If the Bible says, I'll provide for your needs, he will provide for your needs. If the Bible says, I will never leave nor forsake you, he will never leave or forsake you. If you have experienced these things, then they're not true. They're lies to keep you out of a relationship with Jesus. We have a truth stick, ladies and gentlemen, that we can hold up to anything to see if it's true or false. If we choose not to use it, that is on us. But it doesn't change who God is. If we say God is not loving because I've never experienced a loving father, it doesn't change who God is. God is still loving. We need to change. We need to see God for who he really is. And the only way we can do that is out of our truth stick. You see, all God calls us to do, it's really quite simple, is obey. In obedience, fear disappears. In obedience, pride disappears. Because in obedience, there can only be humility. Because humility says, I can't, but you can. Obedience says, I will, because you're with me. See, Moses got to the point where he went, okay, God. I'm I'm pretty sure he still wasn't convinced that he could do it. And I thought, you kind of get the the petulant child from Moses going, all right, okay, I'll give this a go. It's not going to work, but you know. And off he goes. And then bit by bit, and what I love about the story of Moses is by the time the Israelites are out and through the sea and on the other side and they're in the desert, every time Moses comes in or comes against a problem or an issue he has, because of where God has moved into, his first response is on knees humility. He ceases to have his first response as, how can I sort this problem out? He ceases to live in a place where he says, what can I do to solve this? Or what abilities do I need? He doesn't do any of that. Whenever he then is faced with an issue, on his knees he goes, God, I can't do this. I need you. Because you can. Because you're the I am. God tells us to not judge ourselves the way this world does. God tells us not to live and conform to the patterns of this world. And he says all these things to us because he knows that if we do, he knows how ineffective we become as a church. Make no mistake about it. If the the world can no longer see you, you're no longer effective. Doesn't matter if you call yourself a lighthouse, a child of God. Doesn't matter if you say or if you sing whatever you sing. If you are not noticed by your culture, you are not effective in it. You look at all the great people who have changed the world, they were noticed not just by their culture, but by others. And you see all the great people who God has used throughout time. They've all been noticed because they've all done things differently. God will call you to do things you don't want to do. Have that as a fact of life and just embrace it. He will call you to do things you do not want to do. And he will call you to do it in a way that you don't think is best. But that's okay because he's God. I kind of think he knows better sometimes. Sometimes my conversations you wouldn't believe I think he knows better. But I do. So knowing that, we have a response then. And fear and pride are two idols in our lives that change our response. 
You see, there are those of you out there sitting there today, I really truly believe, I need you to hear this, that God is saying you are still judging yourselves by the limitations and abilities you think you have, and I cannot work there. And it's not because God is punishing you, but it's because you won't walk into what God has for you. It's like your dad's got a gift for you, but you're so scared to open the box that you never receive it. It's not your dad punishing you. Your dad is not. Your dad's got the gift. But if you're not prepared to open it because you don't think you're worthy, you don't think you're good enough, you don't think you're gifted enough, you think that Becky's a better worship leader or John's a better speaker or Joe Bloggs is a better whatever. If you never open it, you'll never receive it. That's not God punishing, but God is like, I have this for you. I just need you to see you as I do. I see you perfect. I see you limitless. I see a loving child who I want to mould and shape. And there's a key in that, isn't there? Remember Remember Jesus said this, I will build my church and I'll give you the keys for the kingdom. How often do we look for these little keys that we find? Obedience is one key, I've already mentioned that. Obedience will open so many doors for you. Another is realising that if you push into Jesus, he will flow out from you. If you press into the king, the king overflows from you. Never is this ever not true. You go to the letter of James. James writes, he says, you show me faith without deeds and I'll show you a dead faith. James says these really strong words. You show me a faith without deeds and I will show you a dead faith. When you push into Jesus, he flows out of you. When you push into Jesus, you start to do things you've never, ever thought you could do before. And the greatest example I can give of this is Peter walking on water. My man walked on water. Seriously jealous at this point, by the way. I've I've actually prayed to walk on water. More for my own pride than anything else. That's probably why it hasn't happened. I'd love to walk on water. Closest I got was me and Lydia walked on an ice lake. But that's kind of cheating, so... Um, I still took it though, that's a victory. Um, Peter walked on water. What happened when Peter walked on water? So they're in this storm, so you've got to remember there's a storm going on, and these guys are fishermen, they've been in storms, they know the power of the water around them. So straight away, limitations everywhere. Water, small boat, storm, man equals death. They know this, so they're scared. Because they, they know how this has ended. It doesn't ever say, but you imagine that they've known people who have ended up dying in this exact environment. They were fishermen. They would have seen this day in, day out. And then they notice somebody. They notice somebody coming to them on the water. That never says that this startles them, to, to, to the fact that there's a man walking on water at this point. But Peter, out of all of them, says to the dude who's walking towards them, Are you Jesus? If you're Jesus, call out to me and I'll come to you. In the middle of a storm, what happens? There's there's something that we often miss in this story, because it never ever says it, but there's a moment where Peter goes from petrified to bold. From limited to limitless. Doesn't take, doesn't take a moment, but all he does is he shifts his view. He stops looking at the storm, starts looking at Jesus. Jesus isn't there, by the way. He starts looking at Jesus. He fixes his eyes on Jesus, the author 
and perfecter of his faith. You want to know who is the author of your faith? You want to know who is the perfecter of it? It ain't you. And it never will be. You don't write your story. You just live out. You don't perfect your faith. You have it perfected. And thank God that that's the truth. Because I'm not sure we we do very well. But Peter's eyes are fixed on Jesus. And he says, if you tell me to come to you, I will be able to do it. Remember this, Peter cannot walk on water. He's a man. In able or unable, whichever word is the right one, to walk on water. It's a storm. He's in a boat. There are so many things going on here that makes what he's about to do impossible. And yet, with his eyes fixed on Jesus, he seems to have a different perspective. He seems to go, well, if you tell me to come to you, you're Jesus. So I'll be able to walk to you. Jesus calls to him. Peter steps out of the boat. Remember this. You're going to say to Jesus, all right, if you call for me, I'm coming. Your next step is you've got to get out of the boat. You can't stay in it. That's cheating. Okay? If you say to Jesus, I want you, I want to live your way, he will respond. Okay? Dangerous prayers, God responds to. Bold prayers, God God will say, okay, if you want to come my way, get out of the boat. Peter had to do something else. But still... Peter's eyes are fixed on Jesus. So at this point, getting out of the boat is not a big deal for Peter. It's just a simple step towards his beloved, towards his creator, towards his sustainer, towards his all-loving father. That's not a big step. All of us want to go towards him. So Peter just steps out of the boat onto water and then walks towards Jesus. And then comes the next shift. All of a sudden, fear grips him. All of a sudden, he's a prisoner again. He's held captive again. All of a sudden, the entire freedom that is allowing him to walk on water is gone. And all of a sudden, he's noticing everything around him that makes what he's doing impossible for him. And all of a sudden, Peter goes, I can't do this. I am just Peter. I'm a man. I am fallible. I can't walk on water. What am I doing walking on water? Why didn't you guys tell me I was about to walk on water? Thanks for helping. I'm now in water. Oh, this is not going to go well. And in he goes. And in he goes. Peter changes his perspective. As soon as he does that, he stops living by the truth of God's power and starts living by the lie of his own limitations. As soon as he does it, that quickly. Jesus didn't didn't change. Jesus was still there. Jesus is still on the water. Jesus is still saying, come to me, Peter. Peter changed his perspective. Peter looked as the world looks and goes, you can't walk on water. What the world says no to, God says you can do. And then the story gets even better as God reaches down his hand, grabs his child and goes, I'm not letting this happen. And off he gets. It's all right to stumble. It's all right. You're going to stumble. It's all right when you step out to trip up. You're going to trip up. It's all right. You don't have to be perfect. If you're, anybody, if you're, any, if you're like me at all, you'd need to, you need to be because you feel like the only time that you can do anything is if you're perfect. But that's, that's a lie. That's looking around again and saying, well, the only way I can do this. It's okay to stumble. It's okay to step out of the boat and get it wrong. It's okay to press into something God has for you and for it not to work. That's, that is okay. 
God is actually wanting you to get out of the boat. We see the end product. God sees our development. It's all right. You know, when we, trip, when we stumble, how many times have you berated a, a little child when they try to walk and they trip over? You don't run over and just berate that child, do you? And go, wow, that shows you what you should do. Never try again. Cruel for the rest of your life. We laugh. That's what we do as a church. We stumble and we go, I'm not doing that again. That didn't feel nice. Can't imagine Peter felt great at that moment when he fell in. But it's all right. Because there's God. I've got you. Well done. Up you come. We'll give you another go. Peter, I love Peter and Jesus' relationship because it shows so many times. Peter is the one who gets it wrong the most. And yet God does the most amazing things through him. Peter chops off some dude's ear because he thought that was clever. Peter, in the middle of this amazing moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, decides just to blurt out because he's nervous. And by the way, we've all blurted out stupid things when we're nervous. Okay, This is, this is not just, uh, just Peter. We've all been here. But uh, on the mountain, Peter goes, shall we build some huts? In the middle of this amazing event, he wants to do DIY. But yet, Peter has one of these faiths that says, you know what, I'm getting out of this boat. I can't live in this boat anymore. This boat, it's too small, it's too confined, it's too limited. I want to walk on water. Is that not us? Do we want to stay in this little boat, confined to our own limitations? I'm not a good speaker. I'm not good with young people. I'm not good with young people. I'm not, I'm not good. The moment you say not, you freeze and you stop yourself doing anything because pride and fear have gripped you. As soon as you say, I'm not... What you're basically saying to God is, you're not enough for me to do this. That's all right, no church, that's all right. I know that might be hard for some of you to hear, but as soon as you say, this can't happen, or I can't do it, you're saying to God, you're not enough. And there'll be some of you here who just need to repent of that. And it's all right. It's not something to be downcast about. I do it daily, okay? I've had to do it many times this week. God, I can't get up and preach for these people. And then me and God just have a dialogue. Me and me and a dad have a dialogue. You know? But if you say, I can't, you're saying God can't either. If you say you're not able, you're saying God is not good enough, he's not big enough and strong enough to do it. And if you're saying that, the first step on your journey is just to say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've limited you. I'm sorry I've taken this amazing lion and put him in a cage and given him limitations. Forgive me for that. And then unlock the cage. Then let this roaring lion come out. Let him do his business. And that's the last little thing, you know. God wants, it's God's business, isn't it? We get caught up in our ministry, my ministry, his ministry, her ministry. It's God's business. On this rock, I'll build my church. On this rock, I'll build my church. I will build my church. Satan at the fall of man said a load of eyes to God. I will, I will, I will. He put himself on the throne. When we use the word I, we put ourselves on the throne. It's not our business. The youth ministry that me and Lids are involved in, that's God's business. We're just obedient. Most weeks I don't think I can do it. Oh, if it was down to me. Oh, man. Thank God it's not down to me. It's his business. St. Also Church, his business. Bodman, his business. Cornwall, his business. Not our business. I have to worry about Cornwall. I just have to be obedient. Listen. God, what do you want to do in Cornwall? You want to do what? Church and Bodmin. Let's go. His business. 
All he requires is for you to be obedient, for you to push into him, for you to have a relationship with him, because out of that, there's a fallacy. You don't want to be full. You want to be overflowing. Never settle for full. Because it's out of the overflow, the rivers, the rivers the Bible talks about, the rivers of life, the overflow, rivers, not a trickle, rivers. God wants to overflow rivers of life from you. I'm telling you in our church, dream big. Don't settle for a little stream, rivers, oceans, seas. He wants to encompass and he, he wants to take everything and just cover it with his blessing, rivers. But if we're only settled for a trickle, that's all he can do. Rivers he wants to flow out from you. Your job, your job is to be obedient. When you get it wrong, just say, oh, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm human. That's fine. When it doesn't go well, that's fine. That's fine. Let's not be fearful. Let's not be scared. It doesn't go right all the time. God's doing other stuff. It's his business. If you pray for something, they don't get healed. That's God's business, not yours. God, God brings healing. He just asks you to pray for healing for somebody. It's his business. God tells you to plant the church. His business. God tells you to lead worship. That's his business. All he, all he needs from you is for you to go, okay, God, I can do this. We got this. Let's do it. All it requires of you is to move. One of my favourite phrases is you can't move a ship that's not moving. You can't steer it. If a ship's in the harbour just waiting, you can't, you can't steer that. God, steer me, move me to where you want me. And God's going, but you're not prepared to get out of the boat. I can't move something that's not already prepared to move. God just requires of you to get out of the boat, get out of the comfort zone. The enemy's business is comparison. The enemy's business is good enough and bad enough. The enemy's business is can and can't. The enemy's business is to trip you up every step of the way. And if he can get a church thinking in terms of gifts and abilities, in terms of we can, then he's winning. But if a church comes and goes, you know what? It doesn't matter who, who what gifts you got here. It doesn't matter who can do or who can't do what. Because God's here. And he can do all things. More importantly, he can do all things, we can do all things, through Christ, who strengthens us. That's it. All things. Not some things, not just little things, not just big things. All things. I don't know what all things are, I'm still, I'm still stepping into it. I can't wait to see what me and God do. We're going to have some adventures, we're going to build some mountains, we're going we're to crush some strongholds, we're going to bring light to darkness. We're going to do some amazing things, and you can too. Stop viewing yourselves out of your own limitations. Stop saying you can't do stuff. Stop living outside of what God has for you. Start living in the abundance of his blessing. Start opening your Bible. Start reading what he has said to you and start believing it. If God says he'll provide for your needs, he'll provide for your needs. Every time you think he won't, just repeat the scripture. That's the truth. So simply, if you let God overflow from your life, you will do great things. You will do amazing things. You will see your life. As your life is changed, you will change lives. As you press into God, God will flow from you. And that's my short, simple, but sweet message that I have for you today. I could talk for hours, but Becky's going to do this in a minute. <laughs> Becky's going to shh. Um, but God, that's what God wants to do. Um, I did sort of 
I did, I did, I do, I'm not sure. I did have in mind, because I, re- I, I think it's really important, I do, um, I'm just, I'm, getting, I'm going somewhere. There's, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a something, there's something coming. Because it's really struggling in my heart, I believe there are people in this room, sat here today, that either think they can do stuff aside from God, that's some of you, but there are other people here who look around and look at all the gifts and abilities of others and say that you can't because you're not good enough. And it's, it's that second group right now that God wants to do some business with. There are people in this room who are downcast, who are stuck, who are frightened, and who can't move because they're still looking at what they have and what they don't have. And I really believe God wants to do some, do some, do some stuff with you all this morning. Um, 